0: Take your Bibles and Luke 21 is where we should be and we are right now in the very end of Jesus' life. We began the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus, the man who was God. We started this study in uh, November of 2016 and now we're in January of 2013. 30, or whatever it is, and we're going to be here for a while longer, and as it goes, we're in chapter 21 tonight, we're going to conclude, then we have chapter 22, 23, and 24 left, which will probably get us right around till Christmas time, (laughs) not quite, but till Easter, and it's going to be perfect, because it's the resurrection of Jesus, and so open up into verse 11, and I said this last week, and I'm going to say it this week, I'll say it next week as well, I'll say it in the book of Revelation, I want you guys to understand this, that everything in this book is equally true, is it not? It's equally true, all of it, okay, amen amen but it is not equally clear there are things within the scriptures that are not as clear as others okay these are what we call prophetical events and stories and there's other uh, parables and things that are not quite as clear all of it is true some of it though is up for what we would call debate or interpretation those are the open-handed issues there are verses, though, that are clearer than others. Those are the ones we usually memorize and highlight and we go to, we, we pull upon. There's other verses that are super clear that we totally ignore because they convict us. and We don't really want to, la, 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 love your enemy, la, 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 serve those in need, la, la. We don't want to deal with that stuff. Let me just tell you right now. Jesus is asked a question in tonight's sermon. He's asked a question. His disciples look at him and they say, Hey, when will the end times be and what should it be like? That's kind of a crazy question. What's it gonna be like before Jerusalem falls to the ground? Because Jesus just said the temple's going down. And what should we expect? So Jesus throws on bifocal lenses that give you a vision of the near and then a vision of the far. And Jesus says, let me tell you what it's going to be like in the next 40 years. And he describes to them and prophesies of the temple and its destruction. And then he looks above their heads and goes beyond and prophesies of what it's going to be like in the end days all the way into our era. And so Jesus navigates this long answer. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's prophetical in nature, and it helps us to understand the end times. And Jesus wants you and I to realize that there is indeed an end uh, to the beginning, and there are things that he's doing right now. Even if you don't quite understand it, it's important that you at least, listen, lean into it. And say, all right, all right, Lord, I'm going to put my antenna up. That's why you're here at 6 p.m. That's why you go to a Bible-believing church and a Bible-teaching church. I want to know these things. Now, let me just give to you a few uh, rules for prophetical study that will help you. I didn't share these last week. I uh, actually heard a pastor this week share them, and they were very helpful for me. Number one, it's out of Matthew 13. Jesus said this. He said, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your eyes, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, they desire to see what you see, and they didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. Time out, eyes up here. Jesus was looking at some cats in those days, and he says, guys, Isaiah, Malachi, Jeremiah, Jonah, all these guys in the Old Testament, they were looking for stuff. Guess what? I'm here. You're super blessed. And there are things that were mysteries for other generations, and Jesus would say to you, you guys are in 2019. You have lexicons, and you have concordance, and you have all these access. You have so many things, and you have the Internet. Blessed are you. I'm not sure if you came in here this evening thinking you're a blessed person. Jesus says you are. Second thing is this. There are more prophecies in the Bible declaring jesus second return than there are declaring his first arrival okay the bible declares jesus would show up as he did and guess what he did exactly what it says and there are more scriptures detailing and prophesying and foretelling jesus second return so if jesus was able to pull off the first arrival just as it said and he showed up right on time just as he said check this out you can take it to the bank he's going to return again just as he said he would Maybe you're not even one of those people, but there are some who wonder, is Jesus ever going to return? Is that really what you're hoping in? If he came the way he said he would the first time, and there's more scriptures detailing his second return, I'm telling you right now, that is the hope of Christianity, Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom. Here's another uh, thought for you in prophetical things. Proverbs 25 says it this way. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. God on purpose hides things, not in a way that you can't find it, But in a way that you won't necessarily see it without, listen, wanting to see it. He doesn't want just everybody to know. He only wants the people that want to know to know. It's the glory of God to hide stuff. He's not a jerk, though, okay? It's not that you can't find it. He says he wants you to glory and, listen, taking your book and digging and looking for stuff. He says, are you really looking for stuff? I appreciate that. That is the glory within kings and queens and us to find matters. Let me ask this question, though. Jesus was foretold, and he showed up just as he said he would. Here's my question. Why did they miss the first coming? Jesus showed up, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, riding in on a donkey. All of these things prophesied. Why did some people miss it? I'm going to make it this simple. Don't be this person. Here's why some missed it. Some just didn't care. I'm not even messing with you. Jesus shows up. There's angels. Ah, freaking out. It's pretty obvious this is a big deal. And some people were like, eh, what's on TV? You know, I don't care. You know, move that camel out of my way. You know, and they were distracted by other things as a matter of fact check this out the contrast is the wise guys the three wise men those guys were studying the stars they noticed something different they grabbed a book they read it they saw the star of bethlehem they put it all together And these guys went for a two-year journey from the deep east all the way to jerusalem all the way to beth uh, bethlehem and all the way to nazareth and when they got there jesus was a two-year-old he was a toddler at this point point. and they showed up to king herod They're like dude the star the book we're here for the king they didn't miss it they saw it, and they cared. There's a difference between people who care and don't care. It's going to change the way you live. I've been studying prophecy and end times events and what God is doing and the historical calendar. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And I've had better years and worse years and years where I'm more interested and less interested. I just want you guys to at least get your appetite whetted a little bit tonight where you can say, Ben, I should, I should think about that stuff. Because if you don't care, here's the problem. You don't care. Yeah, that's the problem. And Jesus is going to return And if you're caught looking the other way, it's going to impact you adversely. Now let me just give you a few uh, stances that you can pick tonight or in your future weeks. There are those who believe that there will be a tribulation upon planet Earth, that God's wrath will come to the sinful acts of mankind and the Christ-rejecting culture that is around us. And there are some who believe that before the seven-year tribulation, where the Antichrist will be revealed, and three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of calamity, during that time that the church will be raptured. Okay, the church will be taken out. Harpazo in the Greek and, and raptus in the Latin there, out of the book of Thessalonians. We're gonna be raptured and saved. I'm one of those people I believe we're gonna be raptured before the tribulation that comes upon the face of the earth There are others who believe that halfway through the tribulation period, we'll be raptured. They're not pre-tribulation rapturous. They're mid-tribulation rapturous. They think we'll be here for the first three and a half years of the tribulation and then be rescued when things really get crazy and we'll go join Jesus in heaven during that time and come back for the millennial reign. Those are mid-tribbers. Then there's also post-tribbers. They believe that we'll be here during the entire tribulation going through the wrath of God and the vengeance of the Lord and all of that Jacob's trouble will be ours to endure as well and we're going to die and it's going to be crazy and then the Lord will return. I can see verses for all of these things then there's another group that aren't pre-trib post-trib or mid-trib they're pan-tribbers okay they just believe that it's all gonna pan out in the end they don't know if it's mid post or you know pre they don't know it's just all gonna work out and let me just say this I I agree in one hand it for sure is all gonna work out God doesn't need your counsel or your opinion he's gonna do it but if you just decide to be a pan-tribber and say I just don't uh, that's too much too much okay what you're doing here is you're rejecting the teachings of Jesus the counsel of his word okay the content of the scripture over one-third of the Bible is prophetical in nature God says I want you I, I it's my I hid this stuff so not everyone sees it but I want you to find it and when you go looking you will find it this is impossible to know God wants us to get into this stuff. So if you're a pan and you think it's all going to work out, that's fine. But don't be lazy. And the third thing, or fifth, or I don't even know what number I'm on. The next thing I would say is this. Prophecy, God's word, okay, does not change. The prophetical events that he said, this is going to happen in this way, it doesn't change. Here's what does change, though. Your interpretation, your understanding, your application, that does change. It changes with time, with knowledge, with experience. You read these things with what we learned last week as an open hand. Like, I think it might be this. And if you're like me, those things have changed over the years. Like, well, I thought it was that, but, man, it turns out it's not. Just so you guys know this, God didn't change at all. You did. Let me give an illustration. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there will be a mark of the beast that is taken by those who reject Jesus. And we didn't know in the year 1700 how that would look, tattoos and, and implants and tracking devices. None of that technology was available. And so the hypothesis in the year 1700 or the year 1200, how this could happen, totally different than what we see now. Now we see chips and marks of the beast and tattoos and ultraviolet rays and all of this. That's super easy. That could be easy. The book of Revelation also says that in the end days, two witnesses will be given power to perform miracles. They'll be killed and left in the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world will see it happen. And when they read that in the year 600 AD, they're like, how's the whole world gonna see that happen? You know, how's it gonna, big mirrors or something? You know, how are we gonna see it? Is, can the whole world see one event at the same time nowadays? It's called Facebook Live, duh, you know? So, so we now see how this could happen. Our understanding, our application, our interpretation of prophecies does change and it's allowed to change even though God is not adjusting anything. Okay, it is steadfast and immovable. This is great comfort for you and for me. And maybe you're here tonight and you've wrestled with some of these things before and you got discouraged because you tried to predict the end of the world. And Jesus said, don't do that. And he slapped your hand or whatever the case is. Look, listen, get back on the horse, lean in and say, okay, Lord, what's going on? What's next? Because let's be honest. How many guys thought we'd make it this far? We're in 2019. You guys remember 1999, remember New Year's Eve 1999 and New Year's Day 2000, that was the end of the world, man. I was ready to go and guns loaded, backpacks packed, you know, and you're at a prophecy update like me and you're watching the clock tick and 11.59 and midnight, it didn't change. (laughs) Lord, it's it's now or never, Lord, and God's up in heaven laughing, you know, and all the sports warehouse stores are fired up because they sold you a bunch of food to eat and man, it's... But... It is going to happen one day. The Bible says that as times get more tumultuous, as governments find themselves with more perplexity and complexity, as issues arise and are unsolvable, here's what's going to happen next. There will be a man next to come along the scene who will have a plan for peace, not just in the Middle East, but worldwide. There will be a leader, a leader who is gifted from Satan himself that is known as the Antichrist that will come along the scene and will do things that nobody else can do. Just so you know, he's not going to have a top hat and a, you know, handlebar mustache and a cape and come on the scene and say, I'm the Antichrist, ah, you know. It's not going to be that obvious. As a matter of fact, the Bible says everyone's going to fall in love with this guy, okay, the Antichrist. Just so you know, it's probably not Donald Trump. Some of you think it is. You're, it's not Donald Trump. It's, it's not, you know. He's, he's got his own, his own trajectory and God's using him the way he is. He's not the Antichrist, and the Bible teaches that when that antichrist is revealed, I believe that that will ensue then the beginning of the seven year tribulation. Three and a half years of peace uh, that will be well received and the church will be raptured at that point And then there will be three and a half years of absolute chaos. My point is, is, back in Luke 21 now, you should be there looking at your Bible in verse 12. Jesus was here in Jerusalem and the boys asked him, when's this going to happen, what's it going to be like? And let me just say something about God's sovereignty and his all-knowing power. They asked him about the Jerusalem being destroyed, and Jesus told him, well, it's going to go like this. And then they asked him about the end times, and Jesus said, oh, it's going to go like this. Now, if you're critical here tonight, and you would say this question, I just want you to ask it one time and answer it. So if Jesus knows Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and yet he doesn't do anything about it, does that make him an evil God? Does he know that there's pain and calamity coming, yet he didn't do anything about it? That's one area in your life you have to go wrestle with and come to a conclusion. Jesus is going to tell them then, oh, by the way, all the women and children that are pregnant and nursing during this time, they're going to be brutally murdered. Now, if you're like me, you're like, wait, can you stop it, Lord? Can't, aren't you sovereign? Aren't you kind of big, big deal? Can't you stop it? And what Jesus is allowing to happen is the culmination of history and the world and the evilness amongst mankind. Don't get it twisted here tonight. Things go wrong. Things are bad. It's not God's fault, though. Jesus actually gives us warnings he gives us direction let me use one illustration some people get mad at God because upwards of 30,000 people per day die of hunger related issues starvation every single day on planet earth over 30,000 people die and if you're like me you might have this thought wait a minute wait a minute if they're dying of starvation how could God be good and allow that to happen time out Did you know that on planet Earth, there's enough food globally and worldwide to feed every single person a thousand times over? There's enough food for everybody. The fact it hasn't reached the Sudan and northern and western Africa, the fact it hasn't reached these people groups, isn't God's fault, okay? It is the plight of humanity. We're all messed up. And when bad things happen, be careful of blaming God. It is indeed bad. It is indeed wrong. But listen, there's grace in the midst Jesus is warning these men then, warning us now, guys, it's going to happen. I need you to adjust and position yourself under my grace during times of trials. He even warns his buddies here. He says, you guys are going to be arrested. You're going to be brought before magistrates, uh, and they're going to kill you. Now, wait, you're, time out. Hey, Jesus, can, what's plan B? <laughs> you know, like, are you sh- Is there any other thoughts? Like, that's kind of cool. You got anything else? He says, no, this is how it's going to go. And he redeems it and says, but I'm going to use it in your life. It's going to be for an occasion for testimony. So I need you guys to kind of wrap your mind around some of those thoughts as we get into this. Look at verse 12. It says, but before all these things, they're going to lay hands on you, persecute you, and deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. And you're going to be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. He says before these things, the things that are before, verse 11. There's going to be great earthquakes, various places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, and great signs from heaven. Neither one of those choices sounds good. That's not going to make a Hallmark card. You want to go to jail or have a hurricane? Like, uh, no, I don't want either one of those. And he says, that's how it's going to go, though. Verse 13, he tells us this. Look at this. But it will turn out for an occasion for testimony for you. This might be my own working opinion, uh, but let me just uh, share it with you. I have found that when people live their lives in a perfect kind of uh, glass house way and everything looks great on Facebook and there's nothing wrong with them and they just get the promotion and they got the perfect family, and everything goes good. For me on the outside looking in, I usually don't like them. I usually look at them I'm like, man, they just got everything going good. They don't know real tragedy and suffering. And obviously it's fake. Everyone suffers. Everyone has issues. But when people have their best put fo- forward and that's all you see, It doesn't really help you or me. Here's what does help, though. When you or myself or others, when we face trials and troubles and God ministers to us in our time of need, you know what we do? We watch and we see people and we see God minister to them in their lowest times in their life. It's not the best days that encourage people. It's when you get tested and God comes through. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you guys have been through a trial or two in your life? I've been uh, through uh, four decades now of life, and there's been some things I've been through. And I can honestly say in my rearview mirror looking back, all of those things I've gone through, I've not volunteered for all of them. I've actually been kind of mad walking through certain trials. And yet I can say with confidence, all of those things I've been through, they have made me the man that I am today. And they have brought me to where I am today. And in God's grace, whew, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And there's still scars and I still have regrets and even shame. Okay, but I can trust the Lord that he's working all of that out. He says to you, I'm going to work it for a testimony. I'm going to use it in your life. And when you go through a trial or a season, uh, it's easy to freak out and get mad. I, I do too. And, and I don't, anybody volunteer for trials? Anybody say, yeah, Lord, bring it on. Let's do it. Nobody does. Nobody does. Instead, the Lord puts you in a situation where it becomes troublesome. Remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three amigos there in Nebuchadnezzar's day? And they were asked to bow down to the statue. They said no, and they said, you can do whatever you want with us. God's gonna protect us. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace there, Daniel chapter three, remember that? Three things happened when they were in the furnace. Number one, their bondage was burned. Okay, the things that were holding them back, that's all that burned in their trial. When you go through situations, I promise you, God is doing things you're not even aware of to set you free to a greater degree. Trust him in the process. Second thing that happened is Jesus Christ showed up. It was a Christophany there in the Old Testament. He's with them. Nebuchadnezzar is actually watching. He's like, hey, how many did we throw in there? And they're like, is this a trick question, dude? You're pretty crazy. Like, You, you threw three. He's like, then why do I see four? You know, he's all mad about it. Jesus shows up to those who are hurting the most. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted, And I have found God's sweet presence in my life in my lowest of points. I love the great days, the the best days, you know, but sometimes I just don't even sense the Lord's presence. He promises to be with you in your darkest days. The third thing that happened is Nebuchadnezzar pulled them out of the fire and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became a believer through their trial and their temptation. Wouldn't it be awesome in a world that you're guaranteed trouble, sorry, not sorry, that you were able to say, Jesus, would you use my trouble? to save souls? Would you encourage others? Lord would you use this unfortunate situation to make me more free? Lord would you bring your spirit closer to my spirit? Lord if that's what I get out of this trial, if I have to set something down in order to receive more of you and the Lord says ah, it's going to be nuts you guys, it's going to be nuts for you in Jerusalem, it's going to be nuts for the rest of the world, there's going to be earthquakes and all kinds of stuff. And God, right now, you might be being tested right now. And just know that the Lord is doing it for your good and for others' good and for His glory. You can, you can just trust Him in that. It's often been said that Christians are kind of like tea bags. You don't know what kind of person they are until they're thrown into some hot water. Just like a tea bag, you know. It's like, you don't know, what kind is this? I don't know, boil it, see what happens, you know. See so we you figure it out. And God puts you in the cooker sometimes. And life puts you in the cooker Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, therefore, because I will make a testimony of this, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. I love this verse. I've been teaching it for two weeks now. He says, make a decision tonight not to worry about tomorrow. ho. Oh, man, oh, man. If you all figure this out today, you're going to sleep better tonight. Make a decision now not to meditate or to worry and think about what you're going to do tomorrow. I had a busy weekend, Saturday morning I woke up at 5 and I drove to Sal, uh, Salem Calvary Chapel and I taught a Bible study and then jammed over to Lincoln City and watched a basketball game and then jammed home and started to prepare for this sermon and had nothing, just so much going on. I stressed all day, Friday, all day, Saturday, all into this morning the Lord's like, hey, <laughs> Luke, you gotta stop that, stop stressing, stop worrying. It's like an American pastime nowadays, isn't it? Like, we just love to stress and worry. We love to gossip and talk about stuff that's out of our jurisdiction out of our control. We just talk about it. And worrying is such a bad decision because it doesn't actually help you, okay? It'd be like trying to get to Walmart in a rocking chair. You're going to get in this rocking chair. You're like, all right. And you just keep rocking. You're like, dude, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> like, I'm just give me some time, you know, and you just keep going. And when you worry about stuff, it's not helping. You just look weird. Stop worrying. Now, we love to worry, don't we? We just love it. It gives us a false sense of control. We think about stuff that we can't handle and can't control. Let me just tell you from a physiological point of view, when you worry and stress, you know what your body does? It produces cortisol, okay? And it shoots it into your body and into your muscles. Because when you're stressing, your body says this, oh, we're stressing? Let's do it. And it shoots all these chemicals into your system, and then you just sit there and stress some more, and your body starts to poison. Cortisol, when shot into your system through stress, is good when you're being chased by a bear in the woods, Okay? You need some cortisol to run like Jason Bourne for about a day and a half, you know, and you can can do it, but if you're just sitting there with all these poisons, here's what cortisol, true story, actually does to your body, okay? It actually decreases your learning and your memory, it lowers your immune system, it lowers your bone density, it increases your weight gain, it increases your blood pressure, cholesterol, and it causes heart disease, it's the fight or flight that God gave our bodies when we need it to perform under pressure. But when you just stress, it'll make you sick and eventually give you a disease. Isn't that crazy? So Jesus, now that's not written in verse 14 when he says don't stress about stuff, but that's what's happening. Jesus says stop stressing about stuff. Here's why. Look at verse 15. There's a promise. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. God says I'm gonna go with you. This is so good. If this is all you hear tonight, Jesus doesn't want you to worry the Bible says do not fear over and over again sometimes it feels responsible to worry doesn't it like you're being a good adult I gotta worry I gotta stress about this Jesus says no stop I'm your father I'll take care of you if you decided to just catch yourself when stressing or worrying tonight and tomorrow and this year, I'm just not gonna worry anymore I'm not going to be aloof and irresponsible I'm still going to show up and do what I got to do but I'm not going to be a worrywart anymore because Jesus said not to you're going to find yourself walking in a better and a deeper and a more real grace I promise you and the way you're going to do that is by trusting that Jesus will give you what you lack he actually said in James chapter 1 if any of you lacks wisdom ask and I'll give it to you I'm going to pour it out I'll be there when you need me I'll give you the words I'll give you the sustenance you need he goes on to give some warnings though look at verses 16 and 17 this isn't cool he said, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they're going to put some of you to death. And you will be hated, all, hated by all for my name's sake. Now this again would happen to each and every one of them. Uh, this has happened to many in our uh, culture as well. And maybe you have uh, lost family members because of your belief in Jesus. They don't talk to you anymore and you've been uh, criticized or um, uh, scrutinized for your belief in Jesus. Let me just point something out. It says that in verse 17 this is going to happen for his name's sake, not yours. Now, this is crazy to me. Because if you want to talk about Jesus Christ, he's like the most legit person in the whole world, right? Jesus Christ is full of love, empathy, compassion, kindness, purpose. He is so legit. And when people don't love Jesus, I'm just like, give me one reason why not. And they actually can't come up with any reason. And they say, look, it's not that I don't love Jesus, I'm just not for Jesus. And Jesus said, you're for me or against me. It's not how it works. If you don't love me, if you're not for me, you're my enemy. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. And Jesus said this in John 3 to Nicodemus. I just need you to hear this. I'm going to paraphrase. Because you guys got to prepare yourself for this. Jesus told this to Nick. Nick at night. Remember he's talking to Nicodemus at night. Nick at, Nick at night. Anyways. He, he, he told this to Nick. And he said the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world. John three seventeen. But that through him the world might be saved. I'm not here to condemn. But then he went on to talk about what happens in the world. In verses 18, 19, and 20. He said but here's the condemnation against the world. Is that when the light shone, the world didn't like it. They rejected it. I'm the light of the world. I'm here not to condemn, but instead to save. And when the light gets turned on, people reject it because they love their dark deeds. And those who reject me reject the light. If you reject the light, you stand condemned. That's the problem. You ever been out playing with your kids or maybe when you were a kid and you find that big rock and you pick it up and you want to see all the bugs underneath. There's worms and there's the pill bugs and there's all kinds of ants and spiders. And what do they do as soon as the light hits them? They form a team, they stand up, and they begin to worship to Jesus. Remember that? They start singing. That's not what they do at all, man. These things peel. They take off. They're gone. You're like, where'd they go? And they're up in your pants. like, ah, you know. They hate the light. And there are people, listen, this is just the bottom line truth, that when Jesus shows up to the situation, no, 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 I don't want to talk about Jesus. I know he's all loving, he's kind, and all that stuff, but you know what else he is? He's light and truth. And I've got my own light. I've got my own truth. I don't want what he does. He calls me out and people reject him. Jesus warns us that that's how it's going to go. Look at verses 18 and 19 where we ended last week. He says, but not a hair of your head shall be lost and by your patience possess your souls. Jesus ends that thought saying this. They're going to hate you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to kill you. But don't worry about your hairdo. It'll stay intact. (laughs) Not a hair of your head will be damaged. And, you know, we appreciate our hairdos. We're like, oh, thanks, Jesus, for watching out for my hairdo. Like, there's nothing worse than a bad hair day. You know what I'm saying? That's obviously not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying it's going to go bad, and it's going to get worse, and then you're going to die. But don't worry, because I'm talking, and I'm working, listen, on an eternal plane. Anything that happens to you temporally, anything you go through down here, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Nothing's going to even harm you. If I die, I should not look at that as harm. That's what he's saying. That's incredible faith right there. Jesus would say a day after this, John 14, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'll return and take you to myself. If it weren't true, I would have told you. This isn't where it's all about. It's not all here. There's more to come. If you get arrested, if you die, if everything falls apart, don't worry. I got a plan for that too. This is the ultimate insurance plan. Jesus speaks to these guys and to these gals, and listen to what the directive he gives them. In light of this, he says in verse 19, by your patience, possess your souls. Kind of a weird statement in the New King James Version. And what he's saying is, is believe this patiently, and you'll be saved. Live this way, and your soul will be fine. That's what he's saying. By your patience, possess your souls. Let me just put it this way. Jesus says, I want you to live your life waiting on my return and trusting me in the process. You ever heard that verse before, wait on the Lord and you shall renew your strength and rise up with wings of eagles, waiting on the Lord? In the Greek, this verse 19, when it says wait on the Lord patiently, it doesn't mean a passive waiting with your thumbs twiddling, just waiting for the Lord to be the Lord, waiting for God to do God's stuff. It's an active patience, not a passive patience, where you're trusting in the Lord, but you're leaning into the things of God. This is a totally different stance, where you believe him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you're on the grind doing stuff. How many of you guys ever been to a restaurant and gotten waited on by a waiter, waitress? You've been to a restaurant before? Or maybe you, like me, and you were a waiter, or, and you did wait on people, and you've had good service and bad service, haven't you? You sit down, and this waiter shows up right on point, gives you some water, gives you some menus, tells you what the specials are, and you're like, man, I feel served, and comes back right at the exact time, brings you some bread, gives you the employee discount, you know, does some things and takes care of you, and you're thankful for that. You ordered the pickles on the side, mayonnaise on the side as well, and it comes just like you ordered, and it's good service. You've also been to a restaurant. Or that waiter is not available for you oh, you know you're thirsty you want oh, and you can't get anybody's attention they bring the food late it comes cold and there's bad service jesus is asking you and me to wait on him maybe you're like me you're a christian here you're saved and going to heaven yeah how's your service to the lord have you been checking in with him is he thirsty does he need anything does so he have anything for you? Was he ordering stuff? What's he, Waiting on the Lord is not just... Pa- it'd, be, it'd be so easy to get saved, like, yeah, and then never check in with the Lord again. He says, no, no, I want you to actively engage in the process of life. Don't just deny my presence, but instead lean into the things of God. And look at this in some new territory. Here's what it says in verse 20. It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus, using his bifocal lens, now looks down and says to them then, when you guys see Jerusalem surrounded, you better run. Now, this would happen 40 years later. Titus Vespasian would come in and surround Jerusalem for 143 days. He would starve the city. Men and women would start eating the dust of the ground, Josephus says. There would be reports of cannibalism, people eating their dead babies in order to survive. And after 143 days, Titus Vespasian would come in and kill everyone. 1.1 million Jews would die. Now, here's the point I want you to grab onto. Jesus sees this coming. Matthew 24 and Luke 19 tell us that Jesus is crying. He's weeping. Say, guys, this is, ah, when you see Jerusalem, run! I want you to understand this. God is giving them the truth in his love, but he's also giving them a warning in his love. Guys, this is how it's gonna come down. When the Bible says that stuff's gonna happen and here's how it goes down, you could receive it not as love. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I'm not into that And Lord's like I didn't ask for your opinion I'm telling you how it's going to go down and here's how you need to adjust in order that you don't die because I love you Jesus is weeping and crying when he says this this word vengeance I don't really like this word vengeance we don't appreciate it I need you to understand it vengeance is this because he says this is the day of vengeance vengeance is when you do something wrong and you don't repent and you get disciplined for it okay makes sense H- how many of you guys have ever done something wrong before Okay, that's what we do. We're sinners by nature. We're born sinners, and then we prove it real quick. What God calls you and I to do, though, is when we sin, is to raise our hand and be like, I goofed. I goofed. Boom. And God's grace flows to the lowest point. He forgives us. But when you and I deny our sin and pretend it's not sin or call it something other than sin and we just sit in our sin, God unfortunately has to then discipline us. It's called the vengeance of the Lord, the wrath of God. And so he's warning the Jews then. He warns us now, don't color coat the Bible and say some things are good when I say they're bad because indeed there will be a day of vengeance. That's how it works. And the grace in this is that God's giving us an opportunity to change our lives. Look at verse 24, I need you to see this, we're looking at the prophetical lens now, the far lens. It says, and when they fall by the edge of the sword, or and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 1.1 million Jews would be slaughtered and 100,000 Jews would be taken captive and dispersed throughout the known world run by the Romans. Jesus said it would happen 40 years before it did. And these men and women would be dispersed, and Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles. Did you know that the Jews were not allowed back into Jerusalem except for once per year for the next century? One day per year they were allowed to go back in and weep and mourn and lament. And then they were kicked out. And it was run by the Romans, the Gentiles. Jesus said, you guys are going to be scattered and the Gentiles are going to take over. Did you know that that would happen in the 2nd century? The 3rd, the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, the ninth, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th. And it would continue on. The Jews were scattered forever. Never to be back again. Except, listen, God's not done with a Jew. God's not done with Israel. He's not done with the Jewish nation. These are his chosen people. And his timepiece with prophetical events is Israel as a nation. I need you to at least accept that and believe that, that God is going to use the timepiece of Israel. Here, though, they are gone until the time of the Gentiles, verse 24, is fulfilled. And let me just put it out this way Mark Twain was quoted, he had a lot of quotes about the Jewish people. And he said, Do you want to have proof in God? Just look at the Jew, they're still around. Did you know that when you go to Fred Meyer later tonight for some groceries, you're not going to see any Babylonians, okay? No Amorites, no, no Jebusites, no, no, uh, you know, no Amalekites, you know, all, are you gonna, they're just not there, they, they, they were obliterated just like the Jews were, but they stayed obliterated, they didn't come back. No Canaanites, you know, you're not going to see any Canaanites at high school tomorrow, there's, not any, there's nobody there, all we got is flashlights and websites, okay, everyone else is gone. No Jebusites, all that stuff, listen, but the Jew is still around, as a matter of fact, Sir Winston Churchill said it this way. He said, some people like the Jews, some do not. But no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are beyond any question the most formidable and the most remarkable race which has appeared in the world. Okay, God's not done with the Jewish people. It's crazy. Jesus is saying, guys, you're gonna be trampled by the Gentiles. Listen, he says until. I've got that circled in my Until, until what? Until the time is fulfilled. You mean there's a, There's a next after we get kicked out? After 2,000 years? Yeah, there's a next. What? And if you who know your history and you who are Bible students realize that in 1948, May 14th, a miracle happened. The United Nations came together, and in a moment of empathy and sympathy for the Jews who had been killed by Hitler... They said, what should we do for the remnant, the remaining? We dropped the ball. We weren't there for them. And somebody, somehow, someway, eyes are blinded. They said, let's give them back their Jewish state in Israel. How about that? And they voted on it and gave the Jews back Israel on March, May 14, 1948. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Israel is born in a day. Now, Isaiah chapter 66, 3,000 years earlier, says this. Can a nation be born in a day? Will Zion be fruitful again? And God did that, and the nation of Israel was born. Now the Palestinians that live there still call it the state of Palestine, and there's a whole tumult, and guess what happened in 1967? Moshe Dayan led a group of men, and they began to take back what was rightfully theirs, and in the Six-Day War, they were able to take the Temple Mount back as their own, and they won the war, and Jerusalem was reestablished, and the Gentiles kicked out. Here's what happened next. The troops went onto this temple mount, and they raised the Israeli flag, and it went to the top. And Moshe Dayan, from a distance with his binoculars, saw the flag and said, take that flag down. And he wanted to prevent a holy war and more bloodshed. We've won the war, but we're going re- to really... To this day, military commanders and the Israel nation still don't know why Moshe Dayan did what he did next. They do not know where he relinquished a portion of the Temple Mount back to the Arab nations. And the Arabs run a portion of the Temple Mount and the Jews have a portion. And to this day, it is a conflicted hotbed zone where there is no peace. I believe it happened because God wasn't done yet with the time of the Gentiles. It was not yet fulfilled. There will be a day when the Gentiles leave and or agree to dwell together and the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the next piece of the prophetical timepiece kicks in and the rapture happens and the Antichrist rises up and the next pieces we will see come together and to this day nobody knows why he did what he did and I would just say it this simply God knows what he's doing he has a plan and he's able to pull it off even without our help I need you guys to see these last couple pieces Jesus says though in verse 25 and there will be signs in the sun And in the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves waves roaring. I believe Jesus is talking about now the end days. What's going to happen during the tribulation period? He says, look at the stars, look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the earth and look at the ocean. It's all going to get jacked up. Did you know that tonight and tomorrow night there is a full lunar eclipse here happening on our Oregon coast? Okay. It's called a, a, a blood wolf moon. It's this crazy thing, and all the scientists are getting together, like, this is crazy, it never happens. This is the biggest moon we've ever had with the solar eclipse. And, and if you go outside tonight, there's going to be clouds, and there's going to be rain, it's going to be totally horrible, but it's going to be light out. You're going to notice it's light, even though there's cloud cover, because there's a full moon that's incredible, signs and wonders in the sky. Crazy stuff happening. I just read this just on the other day. It came out in uh, January, January 9th. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it says it this way. It says, the magnetic north pole is moving from Canada towards Siberia, which is Russia, because things in the uh, Earth's axis are shifting. And the movement has been tracked since 1831, and it moves an average of 10 miles per year, but lately it's been moving 35 miles per year over triple the distance. And scientists don't know why or what's going on inside the earth to make these noticeable changes because the core of the earth is shifting. You guys, I don't know if you guys heard what I just said. So the North Pole is right here, and every year it moves 10 miles uh, towards Siberia, and lately it's been moving 30 miles. It's changing. And so what scientists are going to have to do is come together and say, there's a new North Pole. Everything's getting jacked up because the center of the earth is sloshing back and forth, and crazy things are happening. And Jesus said, there without scientists, without all kinds of technology, he was able to say, guys, in the end days, it's going to get nuts. It's going to get nuts. He goes on to say that the waves would roar, that the seas would rage, and he says in uh, verse twenty-five that there would be perplexity within the nations. Some of you guys watch the news. Some of you guys study what's going on. You, you guys all agree that the world's gone crazy, okay? There is so much tension in the Middle East and all over the place. Did you know that in the Middle East, where all the all the people are looking at right now—the Arabs and the Jews and the Christians—they're all there. There's no gold. There's no silver. There's no oil. There's no resources. There's no diamonds. None of that stuff's happening, yet everybody has their attention on Israel. It's crazy. And there's perplexity in the nations and chaos all around. The EU ebbs and flows up and down, and now as the Muslim refugees are coming into these countries and changing the whole demographic. Last year, we had a missionary or a hitchhiker really come here uh, from a young guy from uh, Germany, and I gave him a ride the next day to uh, Florence and got him a place to stay, and, and I just talked to him. I was like, what's it like in Germany? He said, dude. The whole place is changing. Everything is under attack. It's, and he had no reason to lie to me or make stuff up. He said, it's crazy, even more so than the news I was reporting. Jesus said, that's how it's going to be. And by the way, this is setting the stage for the Antichrist to come on and say, hey guys, you're all messed up. I got this crazy plan bam and he puts this plan out there that somehow brings peace to all these nations and everyone accepts it look at verse 26 though before that jesus says men's hearts fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming down to the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken jesus says in the end days men are going to start having heart attacks in Jesus' day, heart disease and heart attacks were nearly non-existent. Uh, I did some research last night. I just said, you know, uh, what's the number one killer uh, in America? Did you know the number one killer in America is heart disease? The Number one killer is stress <laughs> and worry. People are having heart attack. Your heart just stops. It's the number one killer. Jesus said that's what it's going to be like. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. If you've been tracking with me at all tonight or you can see the red letters in bold, Jesus is telling us what to expect, what it's going to be like. And interwoven throughout this is peace and joy and hope. And he says, and when men's hearts begin to fail and when the seas rage and when all this is happening, there's perplexity of nations, okay, at this point, your redemption is near. Look up don't look down stay focused and he tells us in verse 29 through 33 I just need to read this in context he says look at the parable of the fig tree verse 30 when they are already budding you see and you know yourselves summer's near So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not by no means pass away. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus used an agricultural term. He says, you guys ever seen the fig tree bud? You guys know what that means, right? It means summer's coming. It's pretty simple. Just like when you see these things begin to happen on planet earth, you know that something is coming down the line. It's not that hard. And Jesus says, I want you to look at not just the fig tree, but all the trees, all of the things. They're called birth pangs. If you have uh, ever had kids in your family, or you know a woman who's had kids, they begin to contract have birth pangs, and birth pangs always bring about a birth, okay? There's, There's all kinds of contractions that are happening, and the world around us is convulsing, and chaos is ensuing, and Jesus says, I want you to pay attention, because that's a sign of my soon return. I need you to hear this. I'll say it again in months to come. In the Bible... The Bible refers to Israel as the fig tree, as their national symbol. And so when the Bible says when the fig tree blossoms, I believe, this is my open-handed working opinion, when the Bible says when the fig tree blossoms, the generation that sees the blossoming of the fig tree will by no means pass away before the coming of the Son of Man. I believe that what Jesus is saying is, is that when Israel blossomed, 1948, May 14th, and she became a nation again, when she blossomed and was born in a day a miracle the generation that saw her birth won't pass away before the coming of the son of man i believe that's what he's saying i'm not sure but that's what i believe israel will celebrate her 71st anniversary this next may 14th my dad was born in 1949 he was here at the 9 a.m service okay he turned 70 this uh, in, in march the generation that saw israel born is still here with us jesus could come back tonight Jesus could come back in 10 years. Jesus is coming back next. He's coming back soon as the days get darker and weirder. Is it getting darker and weirder? National calamities. There's nuclear bombs all over the globe. We now have the power to take ourselves out. This was indeed necessary for prophetical events to take place. Here's the final thought. I'm going to land the plane right now. We're going to take communion. Here's the last verse. Here we go. Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man jesus gives his final exhortation to those who just heard this you could freak out a lot of different ways couldn't you like oh what should we do he's like don't get distracted what Do you need any help with this whole uh, end of days thing? No, I don't need any help. I didn't tell any of you any of this because I need your help. I'm going to figure it out. Lord, you want us to find out who the Antichrist is? No. Lord, you want us to pick the day of your return? No. Lord, what do you want us to do? Don't get distracted. And he warns us, don't start carousing. Don't get drunk. Don't get lost in the things of this world. Because the temptation is, is for you and I as humans is to get weird. We just get weird. He says, don't do that. Instead, keep one eye on the sky and one eye on the mission. Stay focused. And let me just say this simply. I said it at the earlier services. I'll say it at this one as well. Uh, I love life. I think you love life, too. I've got a wife and three kids. We love doing stuff. We have fun, and we, we enjoy our lives, okay? We're serving Jesus in everything we do. We, we, we enjoy life. We do stuff. You guys need to do your life, okay? Enjoy your life. Eat, make friends. Okay, have a business, work, do stuff, invest, travel. Do all of that, but that's not what identifies you. Okay? Don't get so caught up in the things of this world. Let me just say it this simply. Be careful of spending too much time unnecessarily doing what is necessary. You need to do necessary things. So do I. You need to stay fit. You need to pay your taxes. You need to do stuff. Go to garage sales. You need to clean out your closet. Blah, 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 do stuff. called life. Don't, though, spend too much time unnecessarily doing what is necessary. Don't get caught up in that stuff. You got to do it. But it's not what identifies you. Wouldn't it be so fun if you and I just left here tonight as volunteers for the Lord? Okay, God, I just volunteer. Whatever you want to do. I'm not sure what you're going to do in in my life. God gives us on purpose these things that are concealed and he reveals them in order that we would be able to have confidence and hope even in the midst of trials. He told us, don't worry about stuff. I'm going to take care of it. That would be such a... Divine word for someone here tonight. Lord, I'm just, I'm just going to stop worrying. I'm going to stop worrying. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in my marriage. I'm going to trust you in my singleness. I'm going to trust you in my health. I'm going to trust you in my wealth. I'm going to trust you in everything. And all of a sudden, you begin to live your life more free. And Lord is allowed to use you. Maybe tonight you would say, Lord, I just want to be found worthy. The Bible says, pray that you're found worthy to escape these days. Maybe tonight you would say, Lord, just I'm so proud of you guys for being here. This is a very long sermon. I, I apologize. You're here at the 6 p.m. Thank you guys for listening and, and for uh, leaning into the Lord. We're going to take communion now. And I want the Lord to minister to you even as you remember the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood. I'm going to have Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in a closing song. And as we do this, we, we do this at the very end of our services to remind ourselves that it's not about everything I just said or everything you're going to do. It's about everything Jesus did. As the elements are brought out here, I want you guys to understand something. The juice and the crackers, we buy that at J.C. Market. It's just juice and just crackers. Okay, It's not real special. But what it pictures is the utmost of special. It's a picture of Jesus' blood in his body, broken for you and poured out for you. And as we commune together tonight, we remind ourselves that all of the things we've gone through, Jesus has taken care of, and he has a plan for you in the future, and you can trust in him tonight. And I just want to give two uh, opportunities for a response before we take communion. The first is for those who aren't believers. You're not a Christian here tonight. And yet you would ask yourself, why am I not a Christian, what the heck? Jesus, Jesus is real. If He said these things and did these things, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And the second response is for those who are Christians, but you would say, you know I'm not. I'm not close enough to Christ. I'm just not near enough. There's things that have gotten in the way. And I need to get nearer to him. And I'm gonna give you the opportunity to say, yeah, Lord, I wanna be less distracted. I wanna be more in the know of what's happening. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads as we prepare to take communion? Lord, we thank you so much that we can take this juice and this bread that represent your body and your blood. And we can examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you return. And Holy Spirit, would you be here right now? Would you minister to souls? And if you're here right now and you're not saved, and your heart's beating right now, and you need to give your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's drawing you, and He wants to save you from the calamity to come. Would you respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ right now by simply raising your hand and just say, responding to Him saying, yeah, I want to be a believer. I need to be saved from my sins. I need to be forgiven, and I need Jesus to be my king. Raise up your hand right now. Raise up your hand right now. I see some hands going up in Jesus' name. Be saved. This is what He does. Keep your hands up. And if you're here and you're a Christian, but you would say, Lord, I just, ah, Lord, I'm so weak. I'm so fearful and fretful. I'm just a, I'm a mess and I want to be near to you. Lord, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I surrender. Would you raise up your hand, Christians? If you just need the Lord to to throw you a help tonight. You need him to rescue you in your plight. Maybe you're not living in sin and rebellion. You're just overwhelmed and you need Jesus. Raise up your hand right now, Christian. Just confess to him, Lord, be in my life more. My hand is up to Jesus. Lord, I want you to reveal the things of your word. I want you to reveal the things of your will. My hand is up too. Lord, take my life and use it. Lord, would you give us the words we need when we're under duress? Would you give us the spirit we need, Lord, when we're under pressure? Minister to us, Jesus. Draw us nearer to you, Lord. In our marriages, Lord, in our our situations, our trials, Lord, be here with us. Just like you were there with Shadrach and Benny, Lord, in the fire. Join us, Lord, in our fires tonight, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. And as we come to the table, we do so with confidence that when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He said, guys, everything I've said is true. I know what I'm doing. Hang tight. Stay the course. Serve the mission. My kingdom is coming. And so, Lord, as we do what we do now, would you bring us great joy and great healing? We do what we do in Jesus' name. Amen.